0: Dear Old State is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Penn State ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real-time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. There are tickets available all across all major leagues and teams. Uh, if you want Penn State tickets, they are there. Penn State basketball tickets, very very affordable. I can confirm just looking at my app now. And even Penn State Rutgers, the the last game of the regular season. Penn State's still undefeated. Who knows what will be at stake when they welcome in Rutgers in the post Thanksgiving game? There's usually tickets available there, and there are on the Game Time app. So if you're looking for Penn State tickets to get in on this undefeated season so far, check out the Game Time app and. Head to the App Store or the Play Store now to download it and score awesome deals on last minute tickets. Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. I am athletic college football editor Matt Brown. Joined by Penn State writer Audrey Snyder, who is back from East Lansing, Audrey, did you bring the Land Grant Trophy with you?
1: It wouldn't fit in my carry-on bag, but I tried. Did I have to get
0: a separate plane for that trophy? Like, you know, they were loading it on the team plane.
1: I I was confused because I think I'm assuming they like shoved it in an equipment truck, but they had it down (laughs) at the uh, like right outside the locker room. But then when the players came off the field, I guess they'd already taken it into the Penn State locker room. So I do not know how they got it back, but the equipment (laughs) truck was right there. Um, I I mean, how many players it took. I did see some photos. Penn State had it in the locker room. It's Um, like an
0: injury risk for to have like Sean Clifford lifting. Well, and I mean,
1: all the injuries they had in this game, man. This is one more (laughs) thing. Like, who knows? Somebody could have got hurt. Maybe Dwight Galt's (laughs) using it in the weight room. I don't know.
0: Well, they have an off week to rest from lifting the Land Grant mm-hmm. trophy. So, it'll be it'll be good. It's well timed.
1: Yeah, that it is. They uh <laughs> they desperately needed needed it with uh you see those injuries popping up and we'll get more into it today, I'm sure, but yeah, well timed bye week for them and always for us, Matt.
0: Well, there you go. So, Penn State is 8 and 0 at the off week uh as none of us predicted. There were some 10 and 2 predictions out there. I don't think anybody predicted 8 and 0. Uh, after this three-game stretch where they beat Iowa on the road, they beat Michigan at home, and now they go to Michigan State. The house of horrors that we've talked about in East Lansing, where Michigan State has kind of had their number. They had not won there in 10 years. Michigan State had upset Penn State each of the past two years, and now there was just kind of no doubt on a rainy, 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 and it ended up being sloppy second half. But uh, 28-7 to Penn State wins at Michigan State. What's your first thought after the game, Audrey?
1: It was, I'm glad I stayed dry and I'm not a photographer. Um, no, I mean, it was, it was one of those games, Matt, where the whole buildup to it, I bought into it. I bought into the fact that Michigan State was desperate, and they were, that Penn State was riding off this emotional win against Michigan, that it was going to rain, and all those things happened. Even Felton Davis III was Michigan State's honorary captain, You know, noted Penn State dream crusher, uh, especially last season. But none of it mattered. I mean, all of those things that I thought were going to be factors, it did not matter to this Penn State team. I mean, they came out once again, took care of business. And I think the interesting thing, Matt, the thing that I always go back to and kind of that initial thought is they just keep winning. It doesn't matter. Yes, style points matter. But it does not matter in my mind how they got to 8-0. It's that you keep Picking the flaws in your losses, and James Franklin does that as well as anyone. I mean, he was in the media room afterward saying that, you know, the Clifford interception was unacceptable. That's not what they're about. Antonio Shelton spitting at an opponent is not what they're about. The the penalties, losing that battle is not what they're about. So they're finding plenty of things to harp on with this team. So it's not like they're losing focus. Um, But I just keep going back to it is really hard to win in this league. And fans want to say, oh, well... You know, look at the discrediting wins, this and that. I mean, look at what Michigan did to Notre Dame. Look at what Ohio State did to Wisconsin. I mean, this is, you got to play whoever is in front of you. And kudos to Penn State for continuing to take care of business.
0: Well, and they have done it. They've put, I, you know, I wrote about it in my column up on the Athletic this week about my AP ballot that there are four teams in the top 25 that have multiple wins over current AP top 25 teams, which is a, you know, the committee mm-hmm. always – the selection committee always cites top 25 wins in their rankings as, as a factor. There are four teams with multiple wins right now, uh, and Penn State is one of them. It's LSU, Ohio State, Penn State, and actually Michigan, who's now 2-2 two and two against current ranked teams. They figure. A tough figure. <laughs> but Penn State's 2-0. and oh, They beat Iowa, who's still ranked, who has not lost since Penn State beat them. And Michigan, who it – was, it was a great day for Penn State because not only did Penn State go out to East Lansing and win – and then while they're on the plane back, Penn, Michigan is destroying Notre Dame and making last week's win look a lot better. Because uh, now Michigan suddenly is a respect, you know, they were kind of a punchline the first half of the season. Now all of a sudden they're a respected top 15 team that just blew the doors off Notre Dame. And, then you, you look know, at 28 Oklahoma. To 21 win looks pretty good. Like,
1: Yeah, I mean, it, Matt, I think you look at the way things are breaking for them right now and it's a matter of you take care of your own business and, and you'll get you know eventually yes. you're going to get some help other other places i mean if you yeah. keep winning other teams are going to falter it's just how this league works and i think it's one of the things and i mentioned it i believe it might have been ahead of the michigan game maybe this whole penn state 1 and 0 mantra that we hear a million times a week it seems it's so much more than just a phrase around here. I mean, I know it's like a great soundbite and TV people love it when Franklin says, you know, this week the opponent is whoever, 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 whoever. Um, but they've bought into this. And I'm talking to players after the game, that was one of the things that kept coming up. And Pat Fryermuth said, he said, listen. We knew coming into this year we were going to be a young team. Like, they weren't going to hide from that. They've embraced that. But the thing within that young team is that these guys are mature. And fryer is 21 years old, uh, you know, because he had that post-grad year. So he's not like your typical sophomore in that regard. But they've bought into it. There's like this maturity level with this team. And you look at a guy like a Jason Owe, who had two sacks in this game, and he's just a really mature guy. He's saying afterward, you know, the difference with this defense is that when they come to the sideline, guys are kind of ready to fess up and say, hey, it was me. I was the one who went to the wrong gap. I was the guy who messed up here. Like, There's that accountability and there's that yeah. trust there, which you don't see that with every team, Matt. So I really do think 8 no backs it. I mean, they've got a good chemistry, I think a really good mix of personalities in there, and you're starting to see that. You're starting to see them really take ownership of it. Um, and that's, I think, what's really making all the difference here.
0: Yeah, you know, it's easy for jaded sports writers at us to like roll our eyes at want to know every week, we oh, say yeah. one week at a time. And we've heard it a million times from every team in the history of sports. Mm-hmm. But it it doesn't mean that mindset is not, valid and needed it's completely true and when you're playing a 12-game season and when you have a tough stretch like this you have to stay focused on the moment you have to not let past problems bother you you have to not, not think ahead you have to stay focused and and this team has had some you could say they had some lapses in focus during games but overall they've accomplished what they need to accomplish and I think you're exactly right This is a young team that is very 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 quickly maturing and you know there we talked about before the year about you know maybe expectations should be higher for 2020, and because this is a young offense and they're gonna have have mm-hmm. some growing pains and they've had growing pains, but it hasn't mattered. They're 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 eight no, and they are I you I don't think you can say anything but they are ahead of schedule now. They're that's 8-0. exactly what I was gonna say. They they're are big year ten ahead title of contenders. Yes, they're playoff contenders. That like we that's a fact now. You know yeah we still probably think they're going to lose to Ohio State. Ohio State looks unbelievable, but. Penn State is number five going into November, and is just a playoff contender. Full stop. Like, that's what we're talking about
1: now. And the thing, Matt, and I know we're going to get into this more in the in the coming weeks, coming month too, with you know that big Ohio State game looming. What I go back to, and yes, Ohio State looks remarkable right now. They look like they're just on on another level than a lot of teams, but. College football—it's one game. Anything can happen in one game. It's a matter. Ohio of, State you know knows what? that well. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, couple it, years. It's not like you're playing a best of five, best of seven series. It's one one day. If you have one bad game, um, it leaves the door open, and that's and that's where Penn State's at. Yes, there's that big game at Minnesota coming off the bye week for sure. Uh, but the fact that Penn State got through that gauntlet of a three game stretch—the one that all we were all talking about—the coaching staff had it circled. Everybody knew. Uh, that was the key three-game stretch against Iowa, against Michigan, against Michigan State. They go 3-0, and that to me was a statement, Matt. And James Franklin said Saturday night that he was emotional in the locker room afterward, and he was emotional because, one, he was really ticked off that they lost a penalty battle, and that's not what they're about. But the other part is he never, he'll never come out and say this, but he kind of drops hints at it. This coaching staff, what they've gone through, the fact that he's had some of these core guys, the Sean Spencers, the Ricky Ronnie, Brent Pry, these guys have been with him to kind of see this whole three, whole thing through so far. The fact that they got through that stretch three and and0 meant a heck of a lot more that he was able to do it with guys who saw this thing, you know, four years ago and they're getting blown out by Michigan State that saw this thing two years ago and mm-hmm. you know, when they just couldn't get a win at Spartan Stadium and so there's You know, Micah Parsons will say that this is a revenge series, and I I believe that's exactly he mentioned something like that afterward. The coaches will never say that, but this certainly meant a lot more. Oh, they believe it. They believe it.
0: James Franklin and Mark D'Antonio, that relationship feels a little bit frosty still. (laughs) Yeah, frosty is probably a great
1: term to use for that one, Matt. Yeah, I I think there, uh, there will not be Christmas cards exchanged there, just a guess.
0: I thought Penn State was going to punch one in again at the end there, but it didn't quite. They didn't quite get into the end zone to make it thirty-five-seven late. But yeah, they, they, they kind of they did try for a while, and then they kind of just let it let it run out.
1: You know, what, Matt, and all those things. I mean, I remember being there four years ago when Penn State's, you know, coming off of sanctions, they're reeling and they just are getting smoked, and you just they couldn't compete. I mean, you didn't have the talent because of the the sanctions, all that. You couldn't be at that level. But then you look at what they do Saturday night, and you look at the injuries that they had during that game, Yep. and you're talking about third- and fourth-string corners who are in there who are holding their own. I mean, that's a testament to the recruiting and the depth that this team continues to build. And, you know, Noah Kane finally gets the start that everyone's been clamoring for here for weeks, then gets hurt after two series. Um, He's hobbling around on the sideline. But that depth in your rotation, you know, continues to play out in their favor. So... While James Franklin didn't address any of the injuries specifically afterward, he said collectively he didn't think that anything was going to kind of bleed in beyond the bye week. Meaning, he's optimistic these guys will be will all be back for Minnesota. But I still say, Matt, I mean, you got to give it time. John Reed was banged up in this game. He that's ended, important. not come back.
0: Minnesota has you know you know I think Minnesota's taking some flack. It's like oh they haven't beaten anybody, whatever, and it's true. They have some good receivers. They have some good skill players. So, you know, that's that's definitely something to watch the next couple of weeks here.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're going to need a Noah Kane, You're going to need him healthy. You're, you're going to need John Reed. Um, you look at Trent Gordon, who gets hurt. You look at Donovan yep. Johnson, who hasn't played since the pit game. But, again, the fact that we're not talking about a lot of these guys because their backups are doing so well is a really True. good situation for Penn State to be in. So, despite all of that um, – We're going to have to see. That, to me, is a big bi-week storyline with Noah Kane and his health. We know Penn State does not talk about injuries. They don't discuss injuries. Um, We're supposed to all shield our eyes and pretend they never happened. But, you know, you've got the depth. But, again, perhaps it's not as bad as it looked because, again, we're not privy to medical information. But the fact that Franklin gave an update that sounded pretty optimistic um, should bode well for Penn State, it would seem.
0: Yeah, and you'd think, you know, with a guy like Kane, at least, I don't know what all the injuries were, but Kane, it seemed like it was probably a leg injury of some kind, right? Yeah, it was Uh, weird. I think they'd be be cautious in in that weather as well. They'd be extra cautious.
1: Yeah, and watching him on the sideline, Matt, I mean, even going back and rewatching the game Sunday, I couldn't see where anything even potentially happened. Like, it wasn't like there was one big obvious play where he came up limping or whatever. But watching him Saturday night on the sideline, I mean, you could see at one point he was on the bike, then he got off the bike and was really limping heavily, but the fact that he came back out in the second half still in pads, I mean, if in my mind, if he was like severely injured, he wouldn't have been out there on the sideline, you know, he still wouldn't have been in uniform, so... It was interesting, though, coming off the field. I just happened to be standing in the tunnel because I was not going to go out there and get soaking wet, Matt. I, we all have our limits. Um, but Come on, Audrey. There's so much important tunnel,
0: going on in the last few minutes.
1: <laughs> you know, I had to stay close to the Land Grant Trophy. I wanted to keep an eye on it, and it still it eluded me. They, they shuffled it off to the locker room. Um, but the fact that, you know, Brandon Smith and I think it might have been Jesse Luchetta, the two of them kind of, holding Noah Kane up as he walked through. He was kind of hopping on one leg. But again, that's just all speculation. I mean, it's we have to see what comes of it. But yeah, certainly a storyline to keep an eye on.
0: Two long weeks left before that Minnesota game, so... I don't think there's any reason to necessarily doubt what James Franklin said after the game. You know that he was actually proactive about talking about injuries. Kind of, yeah. I mean, talk about specifics, but still. I agree.
1: The fact that he said something like that, Matt, I think that was a hey, everybody, pump the brakes. The sky is not falling. We think everything's okay. That leads me to believe that it's legitimate. That he's fine.
0: So well, let's get more into the game itself now. And, you know, Noah Kane comes out. He actually he had like more carries the first two drives than he did last week, I believe. Six carries um, he finished with, yeah, six. Six on carries, twenty one yards. So didn't get much going, but had a couple of nice runs. And uh, but then yeah, we we just didn't see any more of him. And they because of the injury, and they rotated. They didn't really run the ball well in this game. Uh, you know, everybody you know, no, or Devin Ford had a nice run. Journey Brown had a nice run, but you know, thirty seven carries, one hundred thirteen yards for the game, but this is another case of them doing what they needed to do to win the game. And the score easily could have been 42 to seven. You know, there were KJ Hamler had his another return wiped off the board because of a penalty that was honestly questionable Mm -hmm. and had no impact on his return. Um, They had dropped passes. They had Brian Lewerke was just begging Penn state to intercept the ball. It was like (laughs) Michigan State didn't even want to play offense in the second half. Uh, So there were a couple dropped interceptions. It very easily could have been worse. And yeah, you could say, okay, yeah, they were sloppy. They made mistakes in the second half. I wasn't there, but on TV at least, the weather looked completely miserable. So you expect a degree of sloppiness, even if mm-hmm. even if Hamler's upset with the the drops and the, the the sloppiness that you get mad at in the second half is the penalties, which again were excessive. And there were some, you know, the the Shelton penalty was a bad one, and there were you know some some unsportsmanlike penalties. Uh, that's something that you know they they can't accept. That can't happen. Can't happen when you got more big games coming up. Uh, but overall. Despite the sloppiness, they shut the door after like what? I mean, you wrote about it. They really shut the door after the uh, decision the to go for down. it, and, then, and yeah. they go down and score. They make it twenty. They get the two point conversions. Twenty one nothing. We've seen this Michigan State offense. There was no chance, and there's something to be said for that. There was no doubt at halftime who was going to win. And for Penn State against Michigan State, that's a good feeling.
1: It is, and I think that Matt, you know, like you said, the degree of sloppiness. With the weather, that was certainly a factor. And what yeah. impressed me was the fact that Sean Clifford came out yeah. firing and his numbers. If you know, if you didn't watch the game and you're just looking at the stats, the box score is not indicative of how he no. played. I mean, there were a lot of drop passes, and you look at the, the big play to Dan Chesina that was wiped yeah. off the board because he dropped it, probably goes for a touchdown at the very least. It's a huge gain. There was another shot play to KJ Hamler that he dropped. Um, I mean. Clifford should have, could have easily had at least another 70 to 100 yards had they had some of these plays that typically they make. But in conditions that bad, the flip side of that, people say, well, why in the world weren't they running the ball? Why were they throwing the ball? Well, that's what they're built around. They're built around these shot plays, taking their chances. And they feel really confident with the weapons that they have and the quarterback that they have. And to me, that's what Saturday night spoke to again because you'd look at it and you'd say, well, okay, you need to run the ball, you need to run the ball. And they tried to run the ball to you know varying degrees of success, not as successful as you'd hope, but you get Pat Friermuth in a matchup that they clearly felt like they could yes. exploit and did. Um, you know, you get K.J. Hamler because you know he's going to get his yards and he's going to make his plays, and he does. Uh, Nick Bowers again with with a big chunk reception. He gets going. So they're finding ways to get this done. But I, K, KJ Hamler said after the game that at the team hotel Friday night, Sean Clifford said them said to them, "Hey, we know it's going to rain. Like it doesn't matter if it's rain, snow, sleet, or hail. We're going to throw the ball, and I'm going to throw the ball. So it's your job to catch it." And yeah, that, I think we have me, to give I mean,
0: Clifford a lot of credit for this game. I mean, he
1: played a heck of a game. He really did. Just Minus the that interception. That first- yeah.
0: Well, the interception was awful. Yeah. Uh, it was—I mean, it was, it was bad. really bad. But he has three interceptions this year, and again, that's probably something else we didn't think we'd say after eight games. Yeah. You know, we we thought we thought he. We I think we were both pretty optimistic about what he could do this year. I mean, we know he's a talented guy, but he's a new starter, and to have only three interceptions through eight games, and one—you know—that one just was completely inconsequential. Uh, Twenty touchdowns, three interceptions. He's ninth in the country in passing efficiency, eight point nine yards per attempt. which isn't a bad rate when you're throwing a lot of shot plays as well and he was on target this week I mean that first touchdown pass to Friermuth yeah I it, it was like watching it unfold it was bizarre because I was like I thought he was gonna throw the ball away and then he just floated it in to the only like one inch window he could and it was perfect and he was just He was not spraying the ball everywhere. The the, the incomplete passes were a product of drop balls for a lot of the game. So that's off to Tom Clifford in that weather.
1: There was, I want to say it was a third and 11 play early in the game, too, where Clifford ran for like 14 yards. That was a huge play early on. Um, And even if you go back, and I watched it yesterday for my Upon Further Review piece that's up Monday morning on The Athletic. That critical fourth down that we mentioned, uh, at that point, you know, there's 238 left in the first half. Penn State's up 13 to nothing. Clifford scrambles, picks up, I believe, four yards. They needed five, so they're they're yard short. But when he came down, he landed right on his left shoulder. And he looked like he was in pain. He's, you know, massaging that arm, keeps moving it around. There was never a doubt that he was coming out. I mean, you could go back and watch Will Levis. Levis doesn't even go to get his helmet. <laughs> right. Penn yeah. State takes a timeout, and Clifford's there, and it's like it kind of reminded me of the guy he's always going to be compared to, whether unfairly or not, Trace McSorley, because there was just like that, you know, that innate ability of I, I'm staying in this game. You're not taking me out. This is my team type of type of moment for him. But the the interesting thing, and what I led my upon further review piece with, is you watch Brent Pry and James Franklin get together during that timeout and Franklin said afterward he said during that you know decision he wanted to talk to Pry and say hey you know basically do you think we should go for this here or not and you can watch Pry through you know lip readings tells him go for it and Franklin doesn't even hesitate and goes right to Clifford the offenses but okay we're going for it we're going for it so that to me Matt, speaks one it was absolutely the right call, and we're going to say it's the right call because they converted. But even if they would would not have, it converted, was the right call. You've got this incredible defense. You've got a Michigan State offense that stinks. You go for that. Like to me, that's one of those plays where you're essentially taking a kill shot early in the first half, yep. and they did. But on top of that, they took Devin Ford out, who had been in. That was his designated series. Put Journey Brown in. Brown gets the ball. They get the first down. Five plays later, you know, there's there's a touchdown to KJ Hamler, and Penn State gets the two point conversion. Essentially puts Michigan State to bed. But, you know, that relationship between Franklin and Pry and Franklin and, like I mentioned earlier, some of these coaches that have been with him for these six years, that's the kind of stuff that it's almost like institutional knowledge where you almost take it for granted, where he can go mm-hmm. to his defensive coordinator and get a really honest, brutal assessment in an opinion that he trusts and respects. Like, you don't just get that with a coach overnight, you know? That, to me, I thought was a really critical moment, but also very interesting to hear how it played out. And not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, Matt, but as we always know, Brent Pry's name always seems to come up in head coaching conversations in November and December and January. The way this defense is playing right now, again, I don't know what his motivations are, he mentioned it a couple weeks ago on a conference call. Price said he's very happy here. He loves working for James Franklin. But you got to think, Matt, he's, again, going to be in serious consideration just because of the way they're playing in his background. Again, I don't know if he wants that, but I think it'll certainly be on the table if he does.
0: It's inevitably going to come up. There's no doubt about it. It's come up before, and if they keep winning here, I mean, we, you know, we saw what happened with Joe Moorhead, and now you know, the defense is kind of the story of this season. And, but it's... It's also true that one for for coach openings, there's just been more of a trend to to hiring offensive guys, which creates more opportunities for guys like Moorhead and maybe fewer for, for marquee openings for guys like Pride. That's not, you know, mm-hmm. a blanket hundred percent true statement. You know, Tennessee hired Jeremy Pruitt, uh, you know, there's been plenty of defensive guys hired, but you know, ADs and presidents have tended to lean toward offense more often in recent years. I think it's like easier to sell and get a fan base excited. And two, when you're in the position he is now, he is a highly compensated, trusted, stable defensive coordinator at Penn State at a marquee program, you're not just going to leave for any head coaching opportunity unless he really, really, really wants to be a head coach tomorrow, which I don't know. I don't think we've gotten that sense. You know, he can be, he's the type of guy who can literally afford to be patient.
1: Absolutely. And I think, Matt, that's one of these things when you look at guys who've been loyal to Franklin and. You know, and that's why Franklin when he said he got emotional after the game, one of the things he said was he's like, I feel like in that room I have a lot of coaches who have had my back. I mean, that's what this this is. It's gotta be a two-way street. And Franklin's gone to bat for these guys to try and get them, you know, more money over the years. Or we've seen titles shift. I was, you know, Pry at one point was like the associate head coach or something, and then Sean Spencer has since gotten that title. Um, These guys are so much more than what the titles indicate on their bios, you know, and uh, that relationship between Franklin and Pry is a really, really important one. And I thought that that was kind of a, a moment between them during that fourth down call that really just signified to everyone else on TV, hey, that's how this thing works. That's why this guy's here. That's why Franklin keeps going to bat for him. And that's why Brent Pry keeps staying here because there's that level of respect and trust that you just don't find everywhere.
0: Long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-to's or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code STATE. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code STATE. Don't forget, that's promo code STATE for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Well, let's use that as a springboard into a quick conversation about the defense, which deserves it again. Now, again, rainy weather. Michigan State's offense is is bad. <laughs> like There's they just no, no way around it. They're not, they're not good. But this is a team that gave Penn State all kinds of fits the last couple of years. And they averaged 4.2 yards per pass attempt. Brian Lewerke was 16 of 34, 165 yards, an interception, no touchdowns. He averaged 4.9 yards per attempt. And uh, they had a 49-yard pass. And then beyond that, it was nothing and running game you know Elijah Collins young young guys done some nice things this year long of nine yards 17 carries 53 yards Michigan State finished with 83 yards rushing Penn State is second in the country in rushing yards per game allowed they are first in the country in rushing yards per carry allowed which also includes sacks but just a very very disruptive front again I think another star performance from Michael Parsons who you mentioned 12 tackles all over the field Uh, I forget exactly what the number was, but the broadcast cited just the number of tackles he made like last week that were at or like one yard past the line of scrimmage. It's a guy who just flies to the ball and is just living up to that five-star billing now. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He just keeps getting better. Uh, So I think we saw a big game from him. Saw a big game. I thought Lamont Wade played really well, tackled well. yes. And I think we should, you know, we talked a little bit about the injuries and the depth they have. The depth that they have is freshmen. And how about Marquise Wilson coming in? Who's kind of, you know, we talked a lot about Joey Porter Jr. And Keaton Ellis early in the year and justifiably so. And Keaton Ellis is still making plays too. Uh, Marquise Wilson is really rising up now too. And had his, had his first interception.
1: Yeah. They have been raving about him. And I've noted it the last few weeks in the freshman tracker and upon further review is, you know, as Donovan Johnson got hurt, you saw Marquise Wilson kind of get thrust into a bigger role and, Each week, it just kind of kept getting bigger and bigger. And last week, uh, James Franklin said that obviously the plan was Wilson's going to burn his red shirt, which clearly tells you that the injury stuff there is lingering with the other players. But they believe in this guy so much that they've said they think he's the most confident cornerback or most confident defensive back on this team. And when Franklin said that last week, I'm like, that's a pretty interesting statement. Like, that's a pretty bold statement for a true freshman guy you know, to be your most confident defensive back. And so I asked Terry Smith about that on the conference call last week on Thursday, and Terry Smith said, yeah, like, I agree with that. I mean, he's just, Wilson is kind of built differently in that regard that mentally, he just doesn't seem to care. It doesn't faze him that he's, you know, a young guy on this big stage, which is exactly what the mindset you want from a young cornerback. And you know, you, you see him get the interception there, and I was talking with Garrett Taylor afterward in the media room and was asking him about Wilson, and he kind of echoed a lot of the same sentiments that I just shared, and And Taylor said, he said, yeah, you know, somebody was telling me on the sideline that, you know, before Marquise Wilson got that pick that he was telling people that he was going to get one, <laughs> and I was like, all right, man, so this guy's definitely really super confident. Uh, which, which is to be good. fair.
0: He was watching Brian Lewerke throw passes in that game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> was, cam wasn't Brown really won. going out on a limb after all those dropped. Interceptions. I, I mean, I
1: think one actually like hit cam Brown. It might've hit him in the face. It looked I like think it, that something. one like surprised
0: him so much. Yeah. Uh, one it, was like, it was so like, so you know, it just, Yeah. It, it's hard to react. Cause you just don't expect it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we're sitting up like the, the press box, you're really, really high up there. So it's tough to kind of get a, a better angle on some of those things. But yeah, it looked like he threw like a rocket ball almost right at his face. But back to your point, Matt, on Micah Parsons, um, yeah, as good as advertised, and that's saying a heck of a lot, you know, when you're a five star player, continues getting more comfortable. And there were even a couple plays where Penn State had some substitution issues where they had 10 players on the field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Parsons, at one point, he was supposed to be number 11 because you see him sprinting on as the ball is, like, getting snapped. And he probably covers, like, 30 yards. <laughs> he doesn't make the tackle, but he's right there around the ball. And I put that in the Upon Further Review piece because, one, it's just, it just looks hilarious because he's come he comes running in like 20, 30 yards down the field but then cuts all the way across the field to be right where the action is. Um, obviously not a play that Penn State wants to repeat, but he's just finding ways to get it done. And talking with him in the media room Saturday night, you know, there's still that sense of he still can kick it up another level. I mean, James Franklin Agreed. even said it last week. It's just... They don't know where the ceiling is with this guy because he's such a talent. He's such an athletic freak. And speaking of athletic freaks, Matt, Jason Owe with a transition game. That was was (laughs) seamless right there. I mean, Owe is just becoming this this guy that everyone expected based off the offseason, based off his testing numbers. And I mean, it was a monster game from him. And you just look at the body type when you see him out there. If you glance at him and you're again you're really high up in the press box like we are there are a couple instances where you have to be like all right is that Oa or is that eto gross matos because it's just big guys who can move who can make plays who are disruptive um and this was certainly one of those days for Oa.
0: yeah he had a couple sacks forced fumble and also i think we need to shout out shaka tony you know this special teams they mm-hmm. there were a few mis- miscues but they actually made the Bigger special teams plays in that they, well, one, they recovered that, that fumbled punt and two, they, uh, get the blocked the block. field goal by Shaka Tony, who just, just pretty much destroyed the there Michigan no, State. Yeah. They just, they just like,
1: yeah, we're just not going to block them. And, and you can see. And blocked it with his face,
0: I believe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hit him in the face mask. Um, it, I mean, but I think that's a good point, Matt, because last year, the special teams do not make those plays, right? We saw they got burnt in that game against Michigan State with the fakes and all that stuff. While there were some miscues, as you mentioned, um, missed missed extra point, ball kicked out of bounds by Stout. Uh, bad weather though. Bad weather. Yeah, bad weather. Um, Luketta at one point ran into the punter. Okay, that uh, wasn't
0: a product of the bad weather. That was just yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there
1: were some there were some things that were just not great. But Blake Gilligan continues to be a weapon for them. And you look at this three game stretch, Matt, and if he's not punting as well as he was during that stretch, I don't know if they go 3-0 and because he's really been helping them flip the field. And, you know, he struggled last year. was dealing with an injury. He had been inconsistent earlier this year. But then back to the traditional-style punts, which is what he's excelled at, uh, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, he again was doing a really nice job. So I think it's, it's good to see Gilligan back to, the way he looked a year and a half ago and that he's healthy and being that weapon because all that stuff matters and as you know as we focus now again on these other two big games with minnesota with ohio state all these little things come into play and the special teams is being a difference maker in a positive way because we've certainly seen seen the other side of that
0: hey you left something out there too do you know that indiana is six and two
1: <laughs> wow so there we go so, man i did not i did not who would have thought that penn state's
0: next three games there's another three game stretch eight and oh six and two eight and oh uh indiana like minnesota has not really beaten anybody and i'm i think minnesota is legitimately pretty good indiana they're better than the typical indiana team because they're <laughs> bowl eligible before before november but well they did beat nebraska this week and nebraska though not not very good this year not but great. um yeah so there is a Big stretch coming up. And how about this stat from ESPN Stats and Info? On November 9th, Penn State plays Minnesota. 8-0 versus 8-0. LSU plays Alabama. Number one versus number two. According to ESPN Stats and Info, this will be the first time in the AP poll era since 1936 that there will be two games between 8-0 teams on the same day. And Penn State Minnesota is one of those games.
1: As we all expected. As we all expected. (laughs) I mean yeah Um, (laughs) i mean it's getting ready for the governor's victory bell
0: the big two weeks of trophy week hype trophy game hype
1: i mean maybe i can find the the victory bell and i mean i guess that that wouldn't take up nearly as much space though i mean you can probably get that in an overhead bin on a plane (laughs) where land grant trophy i mean that thing probably gets at least three seats at least i mean i don't i don't see how how it wouldn't
0: (laughs) I don't know either, but I hope they reserved an entire room to store it at at the Latch building.
1: Well, they do. Matt, upstairs in the the coaching (laughs) suite, they have all the trophies on display, and as the recruits come through, that's always one thing that's pointed out. You know, you've got the bowl game trophies and all these other weird, quirky trophies in there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, this is, I think it's important to see, Matt, what Penn State does during this bye week, how they rest and recover, how the film preparation goes, because if you remember when they came out to play Maryland after that first bye week, they were lights out. And afterwards, yep. so many of the players credited the bye week prep with helping them feel extra prepared, felt like they really were going to own that game, and they did. And Minnesota has a bye as well. So even though it's, you know, this off week, you still can put yourself in a really good position to win that game by all the little things that you're doing this week. So it certainly matters. Uh, it's certainly important to see, but for them getting healthy, this is a big time week for that because again, you've got this big stretch run coming up here. Um, that I don't want to say it's going to define the season because I thought that was the, what the last stretch was. But <laughs> no, it this one actually is. is going to, yeah, because
0: of what they did the last three games. Yeah. Now this stretch will define the season. Like they, that, we we knew that that midseason stretch was going to determine you know, what was possible for this year. And now we know everything's possible. You know, I don't think they're going to win the national championship. I still don't think they're going to win at Ohio State. Sorry for the spoiler. But we can't rule it out. There's it's, a lot of all, time. It's all on the table. And, and we didn't expect that. That's all you can ask for going into November is top five team, 8-0. A oh, couple more big games coming up. They're on the road. Uh, but sorry sorry to Indiana. Indiana 6-2-12. Yeah, six two, no 12. love for Indiana today. <laughs> so... It's it's a lot it's gonna be a very, very, very interesting November and everything's on the table. It feels like if they beat Minnesota, you know, it feels like the Rose Bowl was almost a lock at minimum. Uh so during like in to good be shape.
1: I, I was talking in the in the press box about this after the game and I'm like Okay. Unless Ohio what's... State just
0: loses to somebody unexpectedly doesn't make the playoff if they beat Penn State. Yeah, then I was like the it's the Rose Bowl's take... like the the floor.
1: It's gonna take a lot, I feel like for Penn State to not at least get to the Rose Bowl. Um, I mean, weird things can happen. there's still a lot of football left to play, but if any fans take issue with a young Penn State team potentially ending up in the Rose Bowl, yeah <laughs> yeah <good> <laughs> you gotta get your head examined. I mean it's this is not what anyone expected. I, we kept pointing to 2020 and saying, okay, this is when they're gonna have this all that but they're just getting it done and i know matt we're both in the same camp with them in ohio state and how we think that'll shake out but a lot can change in that you know the yes. next month until these teams play and all these teams you're only ever one injury away from things going haywire and it's one game who's to say maybe there's a monsoon that day out there in columbus and that also nobody things. thought
0: they were going to beat ohio state in 2016
1: yeah, I mean, it just...
0: <laughs> Every you, game's been close the last few years, and 2014 was even close when Ohio State won the national title, and Penn State yes. wasn't very good. Yeah, so. I mean,
1: they. they <laughs> t- you talk about teams that match up well and just the, all the familiarity. All that stuff matters, and it also matters, Matt, to those impressionable 17- and 18-year-olds who are trying to figure out where they're going to go um, because this is where you really have a chance to close the door on some of these recruiting battles, Uh, and I'll write about it this week at The Athletic, but I went to Windsor on Friday, hopped across the border into Canada for a recruiting story uh, with Theo Johnson, spent a couple hours with him at his high school picking his brain. Um, I also, Matt, was reminded just, (laughs) just how weird our jobs are when you try to explain them to the general population like the people at the border security who are asking me what i'm doing i'm going I'm, to
0: talk to an 18 year old recruit
1: well i basically well i left out the recruit part and i was like oh i'm going to talk to an 18 year old at a high school and the lady looked at me and was like uh excuse me like why and i was like oh because he's really good and then i was like wait wait i need to i need to do better here it audrey was really start annoying. with i'm a journalist yeah i i should have uh, but i did not so then i'm like going through this this whole thing and they're asking me, you know, did I do I have an interview set up? And I said, yes. So, yeah, they, they let me across, Matt. They let me in. We didn't have an international incident, um, which is always a big win. So There you go. <laughs> yeah, so you can look for that story this week on The Athletic. Really interesting, interesting kid. I think Penn State is in a great position with Theo Johnson. Uh, he expects to make a decision on November 18th. But I will certainly be outlining and uh, sharing his story this week on The Athletic. So something to look forward to during the bye week.
0: Oh, and that's a perfect way to, to wrap this up. Uh, this is our, of course, free for everybody, Dear Old State podcast, where you can find us, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, and The Athletic app. You know, Please subscribe, rate, review us, but also find us on The Athletic app and subscribe to The Athletic find audrey's great coverage the upon further review exhaustive analysis of the game that we mentioned uh is up on the athletic and plenty of off week coverage to come dear old state will not take any days off either we will be back thursday for our subscriber only edition so thank you to audrey thank you to our wonderful listeners and thank you to our subscribers we'll see you again thursday